Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com and by Business First Bank, with locations throughout the state, including 11 offices in the Baton Rouge area, providing personal and commercial banking, treasury management, and wealth solution services to help clients succeed. Business First Bank, banking with greater momentum. By Short & Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas. From Mansour's on the Boulevard, we're out to lunch with Stephanie Regal. Stephanie Regal is a broadcaster and editor of Baton Rouge Business Report. It's business Baton Rouge style. Hi, I'm Stephanie Regal. Welcome to Out to Lunch. We live in a media-saturated world dominated by 24-7 cable news networks and an ever-growing list of social media platforms that keep us updated, informed, and inundated with more information than we could ever hope to process. How do you make sense of it all, and how do you make money at it? Today we have two Baton Rouge media experts who know about navigating the media landscape. First is Cyril Vetter, a local industry veteran who got his start in a different era of telecommunications, the early 1970s. In the four decades since, he's owned radio and TV stations, a newspaper, a TV production company, a recording and music publishing company, and a communications tower company. He has served on the boards of numerous industry associations and has also been active with numerous civic and community groups. Since selling his businesses several years ago, Cyril has concentrated on creating books and film and television projects with a focus on Louisiana cultural preservation and also working these days at WRKF. So. I am. <laughs> Welcome. It's a pleasure to have you. Thank you, Stephanie. Happy My other to be media here. expert today is Clay Young, owner of Clay Young Enterprises. It's a full-service advertising agency that produces commercials and makes media buys for government, nonprofit, political, and commercial clients. Clay has handled some of Baton Rouge's trickiest clients, including the Capital Area Transit System. He also hosts a weekly podcast, The Clay Young Show, which is one of the most riveting and hard-hitting half hours of broadcast journalism in the market. Clay, it's a pleasure to have you here. Fantastic. <laughs> Glad to be here with you. Well, Cyril, I'm going to start with you. You have such a long and storied career in this market. You started out with a degree in poli-sci, served in the military, went to law school, got a law degree. Where did you go wrong and end up in the media? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. When I was a kid, I used to doodle letterhead stationery, and I'd have made-up call letters of radio and television <laughs> stations and made-up names for record companies and record labels and movie production companies. And so I, I kind of, um, I've always had that dream to be involved in it, and I was fortunate enough to, um, to get involved with uh, WVLA first. And then from that, we, um, we bought a couple of radio stations and newspaper and just... Um, and, and those were the days when stations could be locally owned. Right. In fact... I think I may have been the last sole proprietor of a television station in the country. Wow. Now, you've also done radio yes. and, and, and print. What was your favorite of all of them? That's, <laughs> that's really a tough question. Um, I think the thing that I enjoy most is making content, creating. Um, well, I love running WRKF, um, that's been a, a lot of fun, and the station is, it's amazing. I mean, I, I thought, and 
he's going to think it's a sales pitch. I thought the station had um, good numbers before I got there. But when I got there and realized uh, I was able to get in, get granular with the ratings, it's, it's unbelievable. We have a large and loyal audience. Um, the That's Spring good Book, to hear. Yeah, Spring Book was a record book for us. Um, we're number one in college graduates, number two in income level, and just, uh, you know, NPR is a fantastic service. I remember I used to cover radio several years ago and they talked about all the consolidation and then trends like, like digital cable radio and satellite radio and how that was going to be the death of radio. And it hasn't really turned out to be the case, has it? Yeah, no, it's always, um, you know, the next big thing is always the death, the death of now, some, right? some institution, right? Yeah. Television was going to be the death of movies and, uh, you know, or and or radio or, or uh, you know video was gonna video kill the radio star if you remember that oh, song sure. yeah that was gonna kill radio which didn't happen so that you know that and then, and then the internet um, well it's disruptive in a lot of ways it's, it certainly has changed the way the music industry operates um, dramatically mm -hmm. changed the way the publishing industry operates dramatically and, uh, you know, it's been a force for enormous good and a force for some not-so-good as well. Absolutely. Well, I want to talk to you some more about those trends, but I want to bring Clay into the conversation. Clay, you actually got your start in radio, know quite a, a, a lot about it, yeah. and now you make commercials that we hear on the radio and, and see on TV. What made you decide to go with the marketing advertising side of the media world instead of journalism? Like Cyril said, I, I enjoy the, the creative part of media, and I just loved the production aspect even when I was on the air. Mm -hmm. I loved taking a commercial and turning it into something that would help a business grow. And I studied and learned more about that and started meeting clients. And I was actually more interested in the business aspect than being on the air because I was a wonk. When I did <laughs> talk shows, I wanted all those details because I kind of lived in fear of a caller knowing something about a subject that I was talking about on the radio. So I always wanted to do my homework. And I started getting into placing for clients at the request of a couple of people who wanted help. And then I started a company and I like building things. I like uh, for audio and video, I like, I like building. And that's why I launched a podcast website. And I, I told someone a couple of weeks ago that I'm, I take the long road in business so I don't have to repeat steps. And I want to learn as much as I can about step one and then get to step two and kick the crap out of step one because I'm on step two killing it. And the same thing goes down the line. And I think media is a, is a fantastic asset to a community when done the right way. Yeah. And I think it can also be destructive when done the wrong way. And so I think it's important, more important than maybe people think about on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. Well, I want to get into that a little bit. But first, tell me about the podcast, because, I mean, I know so many people listen to podcasts ar around the country. NPR mm -hmm. podcasts have been very successful. Sure. There are not a lot of locally produced podcasts. No. And, uh, and so how do you grow that and get the word out and, and make money at it? Well. Or are you making I, money I, well, at it yet? I, well, I'll get to monetizing it last. It, content is always king. So when I said I wanted to launch the podcast, I needed the imaging and everything about it to sound like a radio show, that mm -hmm. it wouldn't be so different in quality uh, as 
it would be if you're listening in your car or on your smartphone or on your you know, tablet or whatever. And so I needed content. And I said I needed a number of shows to have the level of content that would allow me to market it to other people. I've got a new show starting next month, uh, a group that's doing their own podcast. Oh, and wow. so I'm providing a facility, which is studio, and a platform online for them to be able to put their show out there. In theory, people are using talk radio more and more like they use television. Netflix has provided people an opportunity to watch when they want mm -hmm. to. So for my kind of content, I want to give people that same option. Listen to an interview with a Stephanie Regal or with a Garrett Graves or whomever and hear it when you want to, but I also want to make news with it enough so that it's covered in traditional media outlets, and I've done that a few times. The monetizing part of it for me is twofold. The facilities for mm -hmm. people who want to do shows and also the numbers. I can pull a number of people listening to the show online. Uh, my podcast has been accessed in about 17 countries. All right, that's and pretty that's good. because of the internet. The internet, if you know how to use it, how to, how to verbiage something on the internet, it gives you the opportunity to be caught when people are searching. Mm -hmm. So it's just being in the right basket when people hit their Google machine. And, and has it been yeah. easy to sell given the numbers and the growth that you've been able to oh, show to your advertisers? It's been okay, but my expectations are tempered. I wasn't, I didn't think it would, it actually has gotten more attention earlier on than I thought it would because of shows that I've been able to have and yeah. guests that I've had. But I always had the long view that it was going to take a while to build because it isn't familiar here. Yeah. And so just next month, we're going to start more outside-in marketing. Talking about Guarantee Group, Gordy came to me about, I don't know, three months into doing this and was excited about it. And now I'm on their app for Talk 107.3. What about, um, how important is video and all this? There's so many multiple platforms now. Do you work um, like, like Periscope or Facebook Live? I mean, Not yet, it's the next phase of this for me. The next phase will be video podcasting. But again, I just, I take my time and I, I want to be certain that I'm not so far out ahead of where the market is that it takes too long to monetize it and have people catch it. Once people have familiarity with a the product, they're more likely to look for it. And I want to do that before I'm throwing them so many things at one time that they don't really know what it is that you're doing. Sure. Cyril, what do you think of, of where the media is today? And when you compare it to where it was when, when you got started on or when I got started on it, it's, it's so very different. Are we in a better place with the multiple platforms that we have to provide information to people, or is it too much? Um, I think in some ways it's better, um, but clearly there are ways that it's not better, and, and that the Time magazine has a cover story this week on how the internet has turned into a, just a hateful, you know, just a, a tar, bit tart of hate. Well, and, ha and that's so very true. Yeah. I mean, it really is. Yeah. And the... The woman that was in Ghostbusters, for example. I saw that this morning. Yeah. Unbelievably horrible. Okay, I missed yeah. this story. Uh, black actress uh, who was in the Ghostbusters reboot. Someone hacked um, her iCloud and released personal information out to the Internet. And But, you know, it doesn't surprise me as much now because it's been so present for a couple of years. I don't, I've, I've blocked more people on social media and when I'm reading a news story about something controversial, I never go to the comment section. Mm -hmm. No, you really can't. It's a cesspool of idiocy, so I'm not going <laughs> to 
<laughs> I'm, I'm not going to invest into it. Yeah, no, you're right. And that's a good way to describe it because the anonymity that um, social media and other internet uh, platforms gives you make it, makes it possible for people to just say horrible things. Mm -hmm. and, and because there's no, yeah. you know, there's no, there's no penalty for saying, you know, the worst possible thing you can imagine. And it gets you attention. And I think we, we swing so wildly in, in directions. You can't make, if we're in a room having a conversation mm -hmm. and we joke about something, just among friends, make a comment. That comment on social media without full context of character or the moment or the intention could destroy you. Absolutely. So that's where it's so much worse now. Obviously, there are, there are things that you just don't say. Is the traditional media doing what it should be doing, or is it letting the tail of wag the dog? Man, the internet is such the wild, wild west that traditional media really has little influence over what goes on there. So there's not a lot <laughs> that they can do. When I you mean, go around them. Yeah. You just have I mean, well, it's like so how do you do that when you're creating a message for a client, for instance, that you're trying to get out? How do you, you need to use social media, well, but... you have to understand the way people communicate and tap into it. One message could have eight or nine different faces depending on the demographic of the buyer. There are all kinds of people who buy Mercedes-Benz or Infinity cars or suits or dresses or watches or whatever. You just have to be able to tap into them based upon how they're communicating with one another because people still buy groceries and buy cars. But talking about traditional media, so much news now happens on social media and the people with the actual journalistic credentials are chasing that to see if a lead that's on Twitter or Facebook is real. The problem is when people go to air with something that they haven't vetted and it turns out not to be true. Mm -hmm. Interesting. What about Baton Rouge has been in the news so much this summer and yeah. so much bad Horrible, tragic news has come out of here. What do you think about the way the national media has covered it and the way the local media has covered our different tragedies? Because I've heard, you know, on some scores, the, the local media gets good points and, and not so much on others. And the national media, I think a lot of people have been displeased with the coverage all the way around. Well, honestly, I think we got a little overlooked in the flood. No question. Because... It wasn't a named storm. Yeah. It was, it was theoretically a typical weather event, which turned out to be not a typical weather event. So I think it caught um, national news bureaus a bit by surprise. Uh, obviously, the local guys did were, you know, they were on it as much as it possibly could be. But, um, you know, I, I, I do think it's taken a while for the magnitude of the story to sink in yes. um, in the national press and around the country. I think the local media did a great job on the flood coverage. No uh, question, I as, agree. As Cyril says, I think the national media was out to lunch. I think there was an, the controversy factor didn't exist because the main early story was the compassion and resilience of people, and that's not sexy nationally. I think nationally I think locally, the local media, some people in local media totally botched the Alton Sterling incident. I think they were, so? uh, they were tripping over themselves to pat each other on the back. 
Uh, I think that people were making statements without information, and there were a lot of assumptions made about inner city communities without anything behind it but an opportunity to speak into a microphone. Nationally, I think they came and they tried to cover it, and then they had their narrative about it. But, you know, a day after the Sterling incident, there was a shooting in Minnesota. Right. And then less than 10 days later, a guy in Miami is lying on his back with his hands up, and he's shot. That's a different thing. Locally, I was not a fan of the way it was handled here. Mm -hmm. What do you think, Cyril? It's not by everyone, just by a few people. Tough, tough thing to cover tough call to make on the quality of the coverage. Um, you know, I, I, that is so complicated by um, issues of race and class and uh, traditional, you know, feelings and uh, southern mores and attitudes. And it's, uh, it was a complicated story to cover from the beginning. And, I mean. felt like a lot of times I would see the coverage, because we at the Business Report, you know, covered it around the peripheries. We didn't cover it daily, but I felt a lot of times like the, the daily media here was pandering a lot. Yep. They really, really did, and almost inciting yep. some of the, and, and I hate to take that position because I, I'm very much a, a fan of, of the media and what they do, but I felt like it wasn't sophisticated and well thought out, and they would give platforms to people that they hadn't vetted properly. Just because something, just because somebody says something, does that need to be on the air? I don't well, know. Well, the, the the other component is that it it was part of a kind of a cascading series of tragedies and disasters yes. and catastrophes. I mean, you just you go from the Alton Sterling incident to the. Uh, St. Paul incident to the Dallas, Dallas and to then back Baton here, Rouge, right, with the and then the flood. I mean, it's just like uh, it's almost overwhelming. I mean, if you were a news director in a television station trying to figure out who to send where, you'd just stay up. You'd be up all night, you know. Yep. Your overtime budget's blown for the year. That <laughs> totally, much is yeah. for sure. Cyril, you mentioned the, the difficulties of covering some of these complex issues in Baton Rouge, and you talked about things like socioeconomic issues, race. How, you know, the racial divisions in this community are such an undercurrent, such a part of the narrative of every story we tell. How do we move that conversation forward? Everybody talks about needing to come together and have dialogue. What role can the media play in that, and how can you really have a meaningful dialogue without just having a lot of talk? It's very difficult. It's a it's an issue that's going to face us for a long, long time, and we're going to struggle with it for a long, long time. And it's not just Baton Rouge. I mean, you saw the piece last week that Milwaukee is the most segregated sure. city in the United States. So, I mean, you know, we have, uh, you know, Florida Street is uh, is a dividing line between North Baton Rouge and, and the South Baton Rouge communities. And, uh, you know, we've, we've got to figure out how to make... Um, the differences in class and race and uh, mores and, and, and aspirations more universal. I mean, you know, we have to make, we have to all, all get on the same page, as trite as that sounds. But. but how do you do that? I mean, Clay, I know you've given a lot of thought to this. I don't know and that it's... And you bring it up in your podcasts and... I, I don't know that it's something me media can take the lead on. Uh, because I think that 
the absence of knowledge about one another is so great that if people don't take the initiative to want to learn, I don't know that it's going to fix it. There are people who live in inner city communities who aren't trapped. Mm -hmm. They want to be there. Their mother and father live there. Their family members still live there. Their churches are there. And there are opportunities for kids who in good school systems, there are opportunities for them to work themselves out of poverty. Not everyone in the, and, and so what often happens is People address the inner city from a standpoint of you poor people trapped in this squalor. As if and, it's all just one group and, and everybody there's the same. And right? it almost always insults people mm -hmm. because it doesn't reflect the way people really think. But the same is true for people who live in Southeast Baton Rouge. The assumption that everyone in Southeast Baton Rouge is rich and they've got it made in the shade and there are no problems. And there are many people living half million dollar homes who are one check away from being closer to South uh, inner city yeah. living than, than you would think. I don't know if the media can do anything about that, but not make stereotypes worse. Mm -hmm. That's what I would suggest. Yeah, and I think that, you know, the key to uh, an exit strategy from poverty uh, or disenfranchisement or um, prejudice or whatever, uh, whatever is, the, the exit strategy from that is always education. And, uh, you know, that, uh, if we don't, you know, we have got to educate these kids, and 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 they're black, white, Asian, whatever. They're all our kids. I mean, as a society, and we have got to commit to making sure that they have access to the best possible education opportunities, and try to encourage them to take advantage of it. Could I add one more thing to that? Please do. I I, I think that's a million percent right. And the only thing I would add is, is exposure. Yeah. We've got yeah. kids who live in inner city Baton Rouge who've never ventured out of East Baton Rouge Parish. Mm -hmm. They've never been to New Orleans. Wow. Going to the mall is, is, is a treat. And I think you can take the rest of the world to them in classrooms. Earlier this year, Vips did an event and uh, Alexander and Belton and uh, the, the, I forget the lead at BRCC where they're talking and Dr. Alexander said he and Warren Drake are trying to get, I think, every third grader an opportunity. To the LSU campus. It'll change their life. Yeah, absolutely. And giving them exposure to a world outside of where they are, it's what made me fall in love with wanting more. Mm -hmm. But I never forgot, and I still reach back. And I, and I, I read this the other day. What other people think of you is no concern of yours. <laughs> Very good advice. So you try to do the right thing and don't worry about what people think. But so many of these kids, if they get to see something other than what they see every day, they're never going to want it again. Mm -hmm. Listen, once you have prime rib, a <laughs> pork chop just isn't the same. <laughs> no, that's absolutely true. What do we need? Last question, guys, for both of you. What do we need? Um, Stephanie, why don't, you, why don't you ask some hard <laughs> questions? What right? do we need to make Baton Rouge a better place to, to, to live and do business? Wow. If you were king, what would you do here? Well, if I were, if I were king, the first thing I would do would be um, to figure out how to get the resources to invest in 
the school system to make it possible for kids to attend public school and be educated and not be afraid or not be turned off or, uh, you know, intimidated or whatever. I mean, uh, and I look at City Year, for example. Mm -hmm. um, these kids volunteer to come down mm -hmm. and, and, and work in, in public schools and tutor um, kids. And I mean, it's a great program, um, but they can only reach, you know, a limited number of people. And um, while they do a great job, um, it it's it's not as impactful as it could be if they had more people doing it, and if they were doing it in schools that were be better built and better uh, supplied and better equipped, sure. and you know, not have leaky roofs and. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think. What do you think, Clay? Making Baton Rouge better. do a better job of listening to college-aged kids. Hmm. They're close enough to their homes to express to us what they've learned, and they're close enough to being out in the world to tell us what we're about to get. But they are a key, whether, and I, and I said college-aged kids, right. not kids that age in college. They are brutally honest, <laughs> and they've, they've lived long enough for us to see where we are missing the boat when they were younger. Because uh, we are where we are because of decisions made by people before us, us, right? And we're gonna be where we're gonna be based upon the people behind us. And I just would, we, we should listen to them. They are, the, they are the least concerned about race, class, and politics. Yeah, they don't see it in the same way that older people do. They really don't. They get it. Well, gentlemen, that's all we have time for, but I've really enjoyed hearing you share your insights and experience, your years in the media. Well, Stephanie, I just want to thank you for uh, asking such difficult questions. <laughs> <laughs> it was supposed to be a pleasant lunch, and I was going to come I, pitch him on bad at all. These yeah. were easy. <laughs> these were easy. Well... Thank you, you so much, Steph. you all handled it beautifully. My guests today on Out to Lunch have been local media legend Cyril Vetter and Clay Young of Clay Young Enterprises. You can find out more about Cyril Vetter and Clay Young Enterprises by following the links on our website. It's batonrouge.la and wrkf.org. Today's show is recorded live over lunch at Mansur's on the Boulevard in Baton Rouge. Mansur's is open for lunch daily from 11 to 2, for dinner nightly, and for brunch on Saturdays and Sundays. The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric Merle. Our associate producer is Peter Raschuti. And our Baton Rouge business consultants are Charlie D'Agostino and Ann Edelman. You can see photos from this show on itsbatonrouge.la and on our Facebook page. These photos are taken by Ken Stewart. Mitch Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. Mitch's latest album, Puzzle, is out now. You can find out more about that at mitchellforeman.com. You can get this show as a podcast. You can listen to past shows, and you can keep up with us on all kinds of social media by going to our websites at spatonrouge.la and wrkf.org. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsbatonrouge.la and wrkf89.3 FM. 
I'm Stephanie Regal. Thanks for joining me. I look forward to meeting you again next week around the table here at Mansur's for more business Baton Rouge style on Out to Lunch. Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base, joneswalker.com, and by Business First Bank, with locations throughout the state, including 11 offices in the Baton Rouge area, providing personal and commercial banking, treasury management, and wealth solution services to help clients succeed. Business First Bank, banking with greater momentum by Schuert & Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas, 